0: Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
1: You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations
2: and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is
1: only one holistic system of systems. One vast and imane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good
2: The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Hey, welcome to the Sunday,
4: August 8th edition of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Glad to have you aboard, and I hope you'll stay with me for the full two hours right through until 1 a.m. Eastern as we come to you live from 550 Queen Street here in the great city of Toronto, from Thunder Bay to the Carolinas and Maine to Minnesota. Always a pleasure uh, to bring you some amazing stories and uh, equally amazing guests, researchers, uh, here on The Conspiracy Show. A little bit later, we'll hear from an old friend, Dr. Patricia Doyle. We call her the lab gal, and uh, she is a retired doctor of veterinary medicine who's really dedicated her uh, life to uh, studying the uh the coming plagues and uh, emerging uh, viruses and and pathogens and so forth. Uh but tonight something a little different. We're going to look at uh the the fallout of the uh, the BP oil disaster. You'll notice I say disaster. I refuse to, to call that what happened a spill. Uh but uh there's even, you know, as they attempt to get this thing capped and it, it looks like they're close. Uh Obviously, there's going to be you know years and years of cleanup, but there's also these other illnesses uh, that are starting to uh, to come to the fore, and some researchers, including Dr. Patricia Doyle, I believe are related to the uh, the toxic uh, oil uh, disaster in the Gulf of Mexico and uh, obviously putting uh, a lot of people in the area at risk. so we'll find out more. In just over an hour. And, of course, the other uh, dear friend we haven't heard from in a while, and that is Bill Gibbons, who is a... um A cryptozoologist, creation scientist, and uh, we call him the Dinosaur Hunter. He's uh, made several expeditions to uh, Africa in search of an elusive dinosaur-like creature over there called Michele Mbembe. He has a new book out about that. We'll uh, talk to him as well about, well, just some of the uh, the amazing uh, stories from the world of cryptozoology. Bill Gibbons coming up towards the tail end of the show. Now... I want to talk now about, uh, I suppose, next to time travel, this is probably, well, it's got to be, it's right up there with time travel as one of my favorite topics, and since I haven't time traveled, but I have experienced this phenomenon, I'm very excited uh, about our next hour. It comes without warning, and it can happen at any time, in any place, with anyone. Suddenly, you get that eerie feeling out of, I've been here before, yet you're certain, This is the first time you've ever set foot in such a place. Maybe you're in the midst of a conversation and and realize that you have spoken those very same words before to the very same person now standing before you. But there's no possible way you could have. Déjà vu, from the French, already seen. It's one of the world's most widely reported, yet least understood, anomalies of the mind, theories run, from the, uh, run the gamut from a neural glitch to a brain slip to a glimpse into a parallel world to a backwards memory of something happening in the present instead of the past, but how could you remember something happening now? Yet that is exactly what déjà vu appears to be and uh, it's all um, put together quite nicely in a new book, The Déjà Vu Enigma, A Journey Through the Anomalies of Mind, Memory and Time Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman here once again, and uh, welcome to you both to The Conspiracy Show.
5: Thanks for having us. Definitely. Thanks a lot.
4: Um, Marie and Larry, this is, what, your third or fourth collaboration? You two like working together.
5: (laughs) It's our third. (laughs) We lose track after a while. It's the third book, yeah.
4: Ah, so for you it is uh, sort of deja vu all over again, but... uh,
5: (laughs) <laughs> yep, that's true.
4: It's like, we doing this again? <laughs> <laughs> it, now, the idea that, I mean, we've all had this experience, but the idea to me that this deja vu phenomena can be explained away by some, you know, neural glitch, uh, and I've heard various scientific explanations, and we'll get into some of these, but... None of them, and I've heard a lot of them, none of them to me adequately explain what is going on with the Deja Vu enigma. Um, mm-hmm. Right. How do you feel about the scientific explanations that have been put forward thus f- thus far?
6: Well, uh, there's actually there's quite a few possible explanations for it, but I think, you know, as a whole... Uh, scientists really have not 100% nailed down exactly what it is that's causing the phenomena. They've got a pretty good idea uh, and they have a pretty good idea of what, where it occurs in the brain and why it might be occurring, but I don't think that there, there's still a 100% surefire answer to what actually might be causing it. Over the past, oh, I'd say probably the past 10 to 15 years, we've definitely seen an increase in the amount of uh, research um resources that have been thrown at studying the phenomena. So, you know, hopefully within the next couple of years hopefully we'll actually maybe get some uh, some more definitive answers.
4: Has this been seriously studied uh, by people in the scientific community or are they just offering up theories or have they actually done you know using the scientific method repeatable experiments? Have they attempted to Oh, they explore? have. They yeah. Have. Can you tell me a little bit about this? Probably
5: one of, of the probably one of the most well-researched well, if you want to call it paranormal phenomenon, that there is, there's been a number of university studies here and in and in England. They seem to be especially fascinated with it, uh, trying to determine what part of the brains are involved, what triggers it, what stimulates it, can it be stimulated um, using, you know, electrodes? Um, what else might be associated with it? They know that it's very similar to what happens during a grand mal seizure. Uh, people who have epilepsy there's a lot of studies going on and it's really interesting that they would pick this subject over any other to really kind of um, go go after but again like Larry said they've come up with a lot of great ideas about well we know what part of the brains are involved and you know we can we can trigger it in certain people and but they still can't explain why it happens to someone in a normal setting you know if you're not in a laboratory with electrodes zapping your brain, what is triggering it to happen in a normal setting? And why? And why do so many people feel like it's such a profound experience where they're they're literally kind of torn between two worlds?
4: Uh, let me get your uh, your sort of definition or understanding uh, from a personal point of view, I guess, uh, of déjà vu. Larry, first to you. What does déjà vu mean
6: to you? Mm. That's an interesting question One that I really haven't spent a lot of time thinking about uh, What does it mean to me? Well, of course there's, there's the traditional uh, explanation of deja vu Where you feel like you are in a situation Or you're uh, seeing or feeling something that you've experienced before um, uh, What does it mean to me? Well, have you had it? Have you had it? You've had had it it
5: a lot. I don't think you've had it a lot. Have you, Larry? No,
6: I've not had it a lot. The times that I've had it have been more. It felt like I've been in a situation before, not that I've ever been to a location. I know that's a that's a very popular. Uh, part of of the déjà vu phenomena is a lot of people feel like they've they've been to locations that they know that they've never been to. I've actually never experienced that, but I've had experiences where it felt like I've been in a situation before, and I knew exactly what was going to happen next. Well,
5: that's so What do
6: I think that is? Um, it could be a number of things. I mean, it, it could be the possibility exists that it that perhaps uh, you have. Truly, have experienced that perhaps in another reality or another dimension, and that you're somehow uh, having a recollection of that previous experience. Um, what do I personally think about it? I- I'm not so sure. Um, I- I'm still, I'm still kind of on the uh, on the edge about whether it is simply a, a brain anomaly, some type of a-, a chemical anomaly in the brain, or if there may actually be something else that's involved with it.
4: That's interesting, Larry. You and I have that in- that in common. I have. Maybe on one or two at the most occasions have I have felt that I've been somewhere before. That's very rare for me. But the idea or the feeling that I've been in a situation or a conversation, a similar conversation before, is very common with me. Mm-hmm. How about with you, Marie?
5: I have it all the time. And I had one the other day. I was typing an email out to someone and it just came over me as usual, and it was, you know, yeah. Because when I was writing the book, I stopped having deja vu. And I thought that was really interesting. That is That weird. maybe something in my brain was blocking it, uh, you know, that that interested me. But, and so I was kind of worried that maybe I wasn't ever gonna have it again. <laughs> um, but for me, it's always very profound, it's powerful. I really feel like I am a split personality where you are not just the person in the deja vu event, but you're the person observing it. It's like you're two different people, but you're the same consciousness, if that makes any sense. So I've always felt like this is more than just my brain screwing up. Um,
6: you have, it sounds you know,
5: like... I love the, the multiverse there, and I love the idea that if there are all these parallel universes out there, when I have deja vu... I might be aligning or syncing up with myself in another one of those universes where I'm doing the exact same thing at the exact same time for that very brief period. I mean, that's that's the theory that I like personally, but again, there's no proof of that.
4: Well, this is interesting. I mean, you have a very complex uh, sort of déjà vu experience uh, Marie and and Larry, yours is far less uh, frequent and and sort of limited to experiences ra- or situations, rather than uh, that's that's interesting because you know if you're going to pick two people to come together to write a book on déjà vu, what better a pair than two two people with entirely <laughs> different sort of coming at it from entirely different <clears throat> perspectives?
5: Yeah, Let's, you know what I noticed too is that mine are always involving language, and I always wondered if that's. You know, because I'm a writer, my deja vu either involves me remembering a conversation where I can anticipate the next word that's going to be spoken. Or in the case of this email, I knew what I was going to type next, even before my brain knew it. So I kind of associated it with expression and, and language, whereas the other people associated it with situations, locations. Ooh, we're getting a lot of noise there.
4: Yeah, it sounded like a, a pack of wild dogs descending on... <laughs> is everybody okay? <laughs> is oh, everybody? my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, we'll, uh, we'll we'll take a quick time out, and uh, I'll get uh, Dan on the case and see if he can uh, sort out some of that uh, uh, s- disturbing sound in the background. My guests, Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman, co-authors of The Deja Vu Enigma, a journey through the anomalies of mind, memory, and time. Back with more of The
2: Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. In search of sunken cities and weird science, mythical beasts, and modern-day bloodsuckers. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett continues from Zoomer Radio, AM 740.
4: Well, if you think you've heard this program before, it's not deja vu. It's merely coincidence, I can assure you. Uh, Welcome back. (laughs) Welcome back. To The Conspiracy Show, Uh, Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman are with us. The Deja Vu Enigma, a journey through the anomalies of mind, memory, and time. And uh, Marie has uh, been with me on uh, various programs over the years many times. Uh, The best-selling author of the popular, highly regarded book, Science with a P, P Science, How New Discoveries in Quantum Physics and New Science May Explain the Existence of Paranormal Phenomena. She's also the author of 2013, End of Days or a New Beginning, Envisioning the World After the Events of 2012, and co-author with her father, geophysicist Dr. John Savino of Supervolcano: the catastrophic event that changed the course of human history, and the co-author of 11.11, The Time Prompt Phenomenon, the Meaning Behind Mysterious Sign Sequences and Synchronicities, and The Resonance Key, Exploring the Links Between Vibration, Consciousness and the Zero Point Grid, with... The other gentleman joining us on the line, and that's Larry Flaxman, her uh, partner in Para Explorers. Larry, also uh, co-author of 1111 and The Resonance Key, and uh, he has a screenplay in development and is a regular contributor to TAPS, Para Magazine, New Dawn, and other paranormal publications. He's the president and senior researcher of R-Past, the Arkansas Paranormal and Anomalous Studies team founded in February 2007. Uh, Is there one particular type of deja vu that uh, is is most common? Is it uh, the the feeling you've been somewhere before when you know that you haven't? Is it a situation, a conversation? Uh, What's the most common?
6: I I think probably the most common would be the the locational um, deja vu, where, where someone feels like they've been to a specific location before.
5: Yeah, that seems to be what you hear people talk about the most. Although, I've never had that. You know, I'm thinking that that's probably the most um, profound for people because there's an association possibly with a past life. So it's it's something that people remember possibly more than just a a deja vu of a conversation that they had with someone.
4: And... uh, Do we know whether, you know, one of the the, the scientific explanations has to do with the, it's a microscopic difference in the length of the optical nerves between the left and the right eye or something like that. And so one eye is receiving the information like a nanosecond before the other. So, But, I mean, that could be easily explained away. Well, that
5: makes sense, except there have been studies that have involved blind people exactly or people with one eye and they've still had déjà vu they still have these experiences so i mean that sounds like it would be a perfect explanation but the evidence just doesn't hold up
4: right and the profoundly deaf uh, do they have do they have déjà vu as well i'm sorry uh, what about the profoundly deaf do they have déjà vu experiences as you well you know
5: i don't I don't, um, I didn't find anything, I don't think Larry did either in our research that said that they didn't. Um It's no. definitely limitations that there seem to be. They claim, the they meaning the people that are involved in the research, claim that children under the age of 7 or 8 don't have deja vu. And I, you know, I just don't think that that's true. I think children just don't know how to verbalize an experience like that. But they also suggest that it declines with age. So the older you get, the less you have it. And that that does point to a correlation with memory and memory loss.
4: Hmm. That's interesting. I hadn't heard that before. Be, be, um, children younger than 7 or 8 don't have it, and uh, older people yeah, don't have it as much. Yeah,
5: but think about it. I mean, children have all kinds of weird experiences. They, they look like they're seeing things and hearing. They talk to their imaginary friends, and I just think that if they have deja vu, how could they possibly have the sophistication of language exactly. to
4: tell you exactly. what they're
5: having.
4: Yes, I mean, we, we tend to dismiss some of the seemingly outrageous claims that children have. Um, my children are, con- I have twin boys uh, b- about three and a half, and they're constantly saying things like, uh, you know, when I was a young boy, I did this. <laughs> <laughs> and la- <laughs> oh my God. I love that. And five years ago, I did that. Um <laughs> <laughs> the idea, you know, that
5: it's kind to, of freaky, but hey, they could be telling it like it is. Who knows? You know, you know and be, I st- yeah. <laughs> and I
4: start, I I'm st- I start to probe them very gently about about these sorts of things. You know, it's uh, uh, fascinating, but I am uh, intrigued about the the whole notion of of parallel universes and alternate uh, dimensions and the possible connection between uh, déjà vu and, and a parallel universe. How would that work exactly if there are parallel universes? Uh, And quantum physicists, increasingly, uh, seem to be on side with that uh, idea. Mm -hmm. How would a parallel universe uh, uh, connect with the déjà vu phenomenon?
5: Well, think about the fact that if there are an infinite number of other universes, obviously we would exist in some of them. And in one of them, it has to be possible that we would be doing the exact same thing, wearing the exact same clothing. If if you're talking about an infinite number, then yes, the possibility is there. So somehow, whether it's the brain doing it or consciousness um, or some other mechanism, we are getting a very brief glimpse into that universe that exists right alongside the one that we're in. And I don't think we get more than a brief glimpse, because if we did, we really wouldn't be able to function in the universe that we're in. You know, we really need to keep our focus. And I think if we were permitted to see those other universes more often, we really would probably not be able to survive in the in the world that we're in. I so, think a lot of people would go crazy.
4: Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you, you know, know that old A lot
5: of people would just, yeah, they would keep pursuing that experience. It would be like a drug. I could see that becoming quite addicting.
3: Yeah. You know,
5: <laughs> there's a great movie idea in there somewhere, boy. Yeah.
4: Well, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know which you wouldn't. You couldn't be grounded because you wouldn't know which life you're living. You know that old right, saying: you can't right. ride two horses at the same time.
5: Uh, yeah, I just saw Inception, oh. and it would be similar to that, where you don't know: is this a dream,
6: or is this a dream in the dream, or a dream oh. in the dream of the dream? And how would you separate reality from from uh, from fantasy? Like, yeah. yeah. Well, the so our I,
5: brains are obviously hardwired to not let us get those glimpses all that often right
4: well obviously then if let's say that's true uh, that we're getting a glimpse of our our, our other life in a parallel universe uh, that would tend to then suggest that our mind uh, is, if it's jumping sort of back and forth it, it exists outside of our body would it not
5: absolutely and that's been the great philosophical argument since the beginning of humanity. Is, are, is brain and mind the same thing? Are they separate? Do they? Do, does the mind cease to exist when the brain dies? Does the mind continue on? Yeah, that's the great argument. And I am of the belief that the mind is a
6: separate entity.
4: Larry, do you have any thoughts on that?
6: Well, you know, that to me, that, that's kind of a an interesting topic from the perspective of You know, when you think about things in that light, that then really calls into question really what, like what I just said a minute ago, what is reality and and what is fantasy? You know, a lot of what we would consider to be paranormal phenomena, for instance, there truly may be something to that. It may be something that is much, much more than just psychological uh, things going on. So, you know, there really is a blurred line when you start considering the possibilities there between what is real and from what's not real. And I think until we actually have a strong understanding of what reality truly is, we'll, we'll never know what fantasy is.
4: The, 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 um, the remembrance of, of past lives, uh, I mean, is that an entirely different phenomena or are we possibly talking about the same thing when we're talking about deja vu and uh, the belief in reincarnation?
5: I think it's linked, I don't think that they're always, uh, they don't always occur. Past life recall, you can have that without having a deja vu. A lot of people who have deja vu do so about a location that they may really feel like they have been in before in another life. But not every deja vu event involves that. So it's like one type. There are people that have deja vu and they see the future. They see an event that's going to occur in the future. So those are almost like little um, extras that get attached to the generic, basic deja vu that we all know and love.
4: I'm wondering how much of the deja vu phenomena just has to do with this false construct uh, that is time. Um, you know, we measure time in a very linear fashion. Um, right. But again, if we get into the idea of, of, of parallel universes or hyperdimensions or, uh, well, just the idea that, uh, you know, the human mind, for example, could, could uh, exist outside of time and space, perhaps.
5: Right, right. Yeah, that's interesting because if you think about it, if the mind is separate from the brain, is it possible... That the mind is experiencing something a nanosecond of time before the brain actually processes it.
4: Have they um, ever uh, performed a brain uh, a scan on someone while their ex- someone the subject is experiencing a, a deja vu moment? Are they able to identify which parts of the brain become uh, stimulated or very active when when a deja vu moment occurs?
5: Yeah, there's been an awful lot, and it involves many of the areas that involve memory, the hypothalamus, the temporal lobe. Um, Interestingly, a lot of the data that they've gotten has been for other reasons. For example, doing brain scans on epileptics, uh, where the subject has deja vu while they're doing the um, experimentation or the brain scans, and they're able to see what happens. That's where the association came with... Uh, came from with epilepsy, very similar areas of, of the brain, and people who have grand mal seizures that are later able to recount what happened say that right before they have the seizure, there's sort of a um, an effect they called an they call it an aura, and it's a sensation of being separated from their physical body, and that's the same kind of sensation people report right before deja vu. It's just this weird creepy feeling like you're
4: coming out of your body a little bit. Hmm. Uh, We'll take another time out. When we come back, I want to uh, pursue again sort of the the scientific attempt to explain deja vu, wondering if they're able to actually uh, reproduce a deja vu uh experience in the lab by perhaps stimulating uh, one one portion of the brain or the other we'll get to that with marie jones and larry flaxman authors of the deja vu enigma a journey through the anomalies of mind memory and time don't go away
0: you're listening to an exclusive podcast of the conspiracy show with richard serrett heard every sunday night from 11 p.m to 1 a.m on zoomer radio the new am 740
2: Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. One of the the most powerful uh,
4: déjà vu experiences I ever had, I was uh, traveling in New Jersey. My wife's cousin was getting married. We were down down there, and I knew that my ancestors came from New Jersey, but... uh, uh, it's not a huge state, but it's you know it's a it's a it's a sizable uh, chunk of real estate we're talking about, and I really had no idea where they were uh, from in New Jersey. They they came up to uh, Canada uh, around uh, early eighteen hundreds, and uh, so we were traveling uh, this particular part of uh, New Jersey, Roxbury Township, uh, I believe it was, uh, for the wedding. We traveled through towns like Randolph, and uh, we. Uh, we're just sort of exploring this part of the state, and we drove down the main street of this little town. I can't even remember the name of it, but I knew it was in the vicinity of, of, of uh, Roxbury and uh, perhaps Morris County. Anyway, I just had this strange sensation. Everything seemed so not familiar in that sort of cliché kind of way, but I just felt so comfortable. I felt like I was home. And... Um, I thought, well, that was kind of strange, and I didn't think about it until very recently. Uh, ancestry.com had one of these uh, uh, a trial uh, subscriptions, and uh, for 30 days, uh, I think you paid $14 or something. You could try it out. And so I decided to, to try looking up my mother's ancestors, and I knew they came from New Jersey. I didn't know where. And uh, lo and behold, of course, you guessed it, uh, <laughs> they came from that very part of the state. Now, uh,
5: so you were home, in a sense. Yes, I
4: was. I was. I don't know if that's deja vu or whether I was remembering a past life, and maybe I'm my own great-great-grandfather. I don't know what to make of that.
5: Yeah. That's getting a little weird. No, I think it's both. I mean, you have the deja vu, and then you, you from that experience, had the past life recall. I think it's kind of one happens right before the other. Hmm. Deja vu seems to be an entree into all these other different Experiences. I have never had that though,
4: hmm.
5: uh, where I've been in a place and I felt like I've been here before.
4: Murray Jones and Larry Flaxman are co-authors of the Deja Vu Enigma here on the Conspiracy Show. Uh, I was uh, before the break. I was going to ask you about um, again further attempts by the scientific community to explain this most remarkable uh, and widespread. Phenomenon uh, away, and I'm wondering. I know years ago, I think it was uh, in Switzerland, uh, they uh, scientists uh, were able to reproduce an out-of-body experience by by stimulating uh, this or that cortex in the brain. Have they have they done that with the déjà vu phenomenon as well?
5: You know, they they have. But what's really interesting is that the vast majority of déjà vu research has come from. Um, it's almost been a, a side effect of other things that they were looking for. They may have been doing uh, research on, again, epilepsy mm-hmm. or deep brain stimulation, memory loss, um, other, type, other things when the déjà vu occurred. So it was almost like a side effect, and then they were able to study it. I'm not sure. It, Rick Strassman also did... Um, did a series of experiments with DMT and Deja Vu was a side effect. But I'm not sure that anybody has managed to just have it, you know, we're going to bring 50 people in and we're going to give them all Deja Vu. I know that there are facilities, there's one in Switzerland, in fact, where they are trying to do that. And they're, they're clinics, literally, where you can go and you can take part in Deja Vu research. But I'm not sure as of today whether they've managed to do that yet. It seems like it's always an after effect of some other type of stimulation
3: to the right. memory, or
4: right, and just because you can uh, reproduce something in a laboratory in a in a patient or a subject, for example, an out of body experience doesn't mean that that explains it away. Just you can yeah. reproduce it, but that doesn't mean that the actual, you know, experience isn't genuine. Right, uh, it
5: doesn't tell you what that is or why it's happening. It just tells you what part of our physiology is involved in
6: the experience.
4: What's the grid? Tell me about the grid.
6: Oh, go ahead, Larry. (laughs) The the grid is really our concept of of kind of an um, all-encompassing, basically, what's real, what's not real. It's kind of, you know, if you think of of Edgar Cayce's Akashic Field, and you think about uh, what some... Um, the physicists have uh, called the ether. It's kind of an embodiment of many of those things. It's, it's this vast field of energy, knowledge, information. Uh, it, it's, it's just basically our concept of, of all. Sort of the
5: infrastructure of what reality might be, But different right. levels of reality that are connected by various mechanisms. And one of them we wrote about in the resonance keeping, resonance, So it's kind of our our idea of what, if you were to take reality or all and give it a a physical structure, what might it look like?
4: Are we talking about...
5: And a lot of people refer to a field, but, you know, that's a two-dimensional visual. And I think people respond more to something like a grid where you've got all these different levels, different layers, and there's different ways to connect them.
4: We're not talking about a matrix, are we?
5: Kind of, yeah. Hmm. In in a way, yeah. Yeah, there could be an infinite number of levels to this grid, and there could be various ways by which you move from one level to another. It could be altered state of consciousness. It could be, you know, hallucinogenic drugs. It could be chanting and drumming. It could be a a massive brain injury. There's different ways, you know, dream state, different ways that you can move from one level of reality to the other. And I think we know that we do that on a subjective level, when we dream and when we have deja vu if we have a a psychic experience that we sort of write off as you know wow what was that we're moving between one level of the grid and another for just that brief moment
4: and and this is something that um, I mean this grid do you think that it it uh, it somehow relates to quantum mechanics
5: well in quantum physics you've got the zero point field and It seems like everybody has their own name for, you know, in the New Testament, it was referred to as the Kingdom of Heaven. It's just this concept of what we are immersed in. It it, it embodies all matter, all energy, all form, all thought, all information, because really what everything is is about is information Mm -hmm. um, that we can tap into. This grid, or let's say field, because that's a term that most people are familiar with the Akashic field, um, you know, the uh, zero point field. If this field contains past, present, and future, everything that ever happened, everything that ever will, all of the information, energy, whatever, and we may have the ability to somehow tap into it and maybe. That's what psychics are doing when they can see what's going to happen to you a week from now. Maybe that's what remote viewers are doing when they can locate a military installation 5,000 miles away. You know, they're tapping into this field of information, and they're accessing information that their normal five senses can't.
4: So this grid is, uh, to me, it sounds like it would be digital, Uh, Because you can, you mentioned remote viewers. I mean, you give them a coordinate, uh, just like on a DVD, you can go, you know, on the the scene selection. You can go precisely (laughs) to that moment in time. But here on Earth, you know, we're still running around. Our brains are like the old Betamax machines, and we have we have to experience everything linear. You have to go from the beginning to the middle to the end.
5: Yeah, we do. But there is no linear time in in the grid or in the field. It's 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 there. It's all there at the same time, and you can access. Information from the past, you can access information from the future. Right.
4: So, from that, for that one fleeting moment, for whatever reason, we're tapping into the okay. grid. We're going to a precise coordinate, which, which might just be a couple of uh, a couple of minutes ahead of time, or it could be. You know, we could be going. Exactly. Interesting. Right, interesting.
5: Right. It's just a concept that we are sort of formulating and playing around with, and seeing if it makes sense.
4: How do we? Uh, I mean, you mentioned uh, hallucinogenic drugs, um, uh, and of course, we don't advocate that for anybody. But
6: uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't try this at home.
4: Jen. No, but I mean, there there are certain, of course, certain uh, cultures uh, that have incorporated the use of uh, of those uh, uh, as part of their sort of their, their their religious belief system. You know, the peyote, right. peyote, and and so forth. I've watched but, uh, yeah. But but are there other ways of? Um, of altering our consciousness to experience, uh, not necessarily just déjà vu, but to tap into this grid.
5: Yeah, Larry owned some interesting machines. You can talk about your, what is this, the binaural beats and yeah, uh,
6: binaural beat technology is one way. Uh, there's actually there's there's a lot of uh, different devices. It seems like you know we tend to throw technology uh, at things to try to find a solution, but. Yeah there's a lot of different things to uh, to alter your reality. There's something called a light and sound machine which as Marie just said it it uses the uh the technology of binaural beats where it basically will play you put on a, a you put on a set of headphones and it plays uh two offset frequencies uh one in each ear and then the, the frequencies basically cancel and it produces one frequency that your brain is able to interpret. Uh it it can cause you to to go into relaxed states. You can have uh, hypnotic type um, uh, hypnotic type things happen. A lot of different things. People use them for relaxation. Uh, all kinds of interesting things. There's that. Um, there are dream masks that people sell that use a series of flashing LEDs uh, that you put this little goggle thing on. It flashes some LEDs, basically, and it entrains your brain, uh, somehow altering your, your uh, state of consciousness, state of being. Of course, there's the ethnogenic type, as we kind of talked about before, legal and illegal. Um, <laughs> there's, there's lots <laughs> of different even, ways yeah, to alter Meditation,
5: chanting.
6: Yeah, drumming drum, and chanting yeah. and, you know, lots, lots of different ways people can achieve it.
4: Um, back to Deja Vu specifically, do... Do uh, I'm guessing that this cuts across all uh, all cultures, all ethnic uh, uh, groups uh,
5: Absolutely uh, yeah. absolutely yeah there's no it, another interesting phenomenon that we found did the same thing with sleep paralysis mm. and that was really interesting to find out how other people in other countries felt about sleep paralysis. A deja vu happens to everybody. doesn't matter what social class, race, gender, it, you know there is that idea that once you get older you have less of it but yeah it doesn't
4: seem to discriminate yeah sleep paralysis um, uh, which gets into uh, I've had discussions with paranormal ex- uh, paranormal investigators about that I mean it's it's it relates to the old hag syndrome and uh, that feeling right, of you know right. an evil presence in the room and so forth and, and having difficulty breathing and you feel this yeah. weight on your chest al-
5: I've I have it a lot. It's an awful experience, and I read somewhere, and I'm not—I sure, don't remember where—that it happens um, usually when you're very exhausted. It, you know, something about being exhausted brings on sleep paralysis. Hmm. But it is—it's frightening because when you're in it, you feel like you're going to die, and you're screaming and you're thrashing around, but to the person who's in bed with you, they'll, they'll say later, no, you didn't move and you didn't say a word. You were just lying there asleep. And I guess it's associated with, well, potentially associated with UFO abduction. Yes. That that might be similar to what's happening. Uh,
4: yeah, somehow perhaps, you know, there's uh, uh, an explanation. For me, all of these things may be somehow interconnected. The, um, the association, well, there's other types of sort of, you know, mind tricks or or strange phenomenon associated with the the mind or the or the brain, and I don't know if it's related to déjà vu, but it's mentioned in the book, and that is um, uh, sort of missing time. And mm-hmm. I mean, what what is the connection there, or is that just sort of? Uh, do you think it's related to déjà vu at all?
5: Well, I think anything that involves what might be a, a glitch in the brain's normal functioning is all interrelated, and if it involves memory, and Larry and I have both had missing time experiences that we put in the book, and it is like having two or three hours of your life completely blocked out that you have no memory of, so it may be involving some of the same parts of the brain. I don't think, I've never heard of anybody doing research on someone who had missing time, because, you know, it's not the kind of thing you can predict. And I don't think you can stimulate that in a laboratory.
4: Well, with that said, Larry... You
5: know, if they could, they would probably find the same parts of the brain involved. It's like a shutdown of memory. When you come to, though, you don't have amnesia, so it's not the same as amnesia. You know who you are. You just blocked out a couple of hours of your day.
4: Well, let's, um, if we can, uh, in the time that remains, talk a little bit about your missing time experiences. I've had one and I can share with you, but uh, mine may be a little different than yours. It was just a... a I can't explain it We'll, uh, we'll come back And we'll, ad- we'll all Attempt to do so Did
5: you ever find out What happened During the missing time That's the question
4: <laughs> I don't even know If it could be classified As missing time But I'll, I'll explain it When we come back And I'll, I definitely Want to hear your episode Marie and yours Larry Co-authors of The Deja Vu Enigma Here on The Conspiracy Show Don't go away
2: The owners of the system Are asleep Now we can play the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Just a reminder, Dr. Patricia Doyle will we be uh, with us shortly. The lab
4: gal uh, to discuss some of the uh, the strange illnesses uh, that are uh, popping up, not just you know directly uh, in line with the uh, the BP Gulf uh, uh, dead zone, if you will, but um, elsewhere around the country as well. And uh, we'll find out. What's going on with that? Dr. Patricia Doyle and, of course, Bill Gibbons, the dinosaur hunter, will be with us to close out the program a little bit later. Right now, Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman uh, we're discussing that common sensation of remembering an experience or a situation that never occurred and uh, also some other brain flips such as uh, memory lapses and altered states and... Uh, um, well, right now we're going to talk about missing time. And uh, Larry, let me start with you, because uh, both yeah. of you share these experiences in the Deja, Deja Vu Enigma. What was your missing time uh, experience all about?
6: Well, my missing time experience was actually do- during a paranormal investigation. Uh, myself and I believe there were seven other uh, people in the group. Uh, we're, we were doing a, a, a location. It was a, a railroad tracks, actually. Uh, and the location was, like many places, uh, of mysterious lights on the railroad track. Um, we had parked uh, in a clear clearing, basically, a large uh, clear-cut area of the forest. Uh, all of our vehicles were parked in there, and it was basically a, a big, wide-open area. Uh, full moon was out. Um, we parked our vehicles, and we walked down uh, about... I'd say about four or five miles down the track. It took us a good two hours to get to, to the location that we were at. So we, we set up. We did our investigation. Uh, we actually did see the lights, although I don't think there was anything paranormal actually about it. Uh, but we did all have the experience. So it starts to get late at night. We decide decided it's time to head back to the car. Uh, we've got about a two-hour um, trek back to the vehicle, so we we start walking. And we're walking and we're walking and we're walking. And four hours later, we find ourselves at the end of the other side of the railroad tracks. Now, it would have been completely impossible to, first of all, miss all of our vehicles in in this very large, clear-cut area in uh, bright, shining moonlight. Uh, But also, we have no recollection of the actual, the distance that we walked. I mean, we had, from where we, from where we were to where the vehicles were should have been about two hours. Where we actually ended up was much, 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 much further away from where we were supposed to be. So we overshot where we we were supposed to be by a good two hours. And the interesting thing about it was that we all had this experience. It wasn't just, you know, one or two people like traditional time-loss experience. This was all of us, and no one really can explain how we missed the vehicles, how we just kept on going, and how next thing we knew, we didn't even really remember walking. We just en- remember ending up at the very end of the railroad tracks. And so, so it, was, it was a very, very interesting experience. It's not one that I like to talk about a lot. It was. It's fairly uncomfortable to me, uh, specifically because I, I don't know <laughs> what actually happened. And you know, there, there's there's certain times where you have where you lose control. And you don't like to admit that times like that actually happen. And this certainly was one of those times where I definitely did not have control of of what was going on. So that
4: that I understand, a trek that should have taken you two hours took you four hours?
6: Yeah, four hours. Yeah, and we have no recollection of the the walk back. It was just, we knew we started walking, and the next thing we knew, we were at the end of the railroad tracks, and it was four hours later.
4: My word. And that's interesting, (laughs) as someone who's, uh, you know a para-explorer, you had this experience and it makes you uncomfortable because it's unexplainable. <laughs> I mean, and yet yeah. that's your that's your evocation is, you know, attempting to... Uh, 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 Marie, tell me about your missing, uh, missing time.
5: You know, mine wasn't as interesting until a couple of weeks ago and I'll tell you why. Um, it was many years ago. I was going to see Carl Sagan. I was a member of the Planetary Society and he was um, the keynote speaker. This is A long time ago and I had a really hard time getting out of my apartment I lived in North Hollywood I couldn't open the door the doorknob wouldn't turn the door kept closing on me Um, all this stuff and my husband my husband at the time said you know maybe it's a sign that you shouldn't go and I said oh yeah whatever so I got in the car and I got on the 134 freeway heading into Glendale anybody who lives in Los Angeles knows this this freeway um, unbeknownst to me, it's a notorious freeway for UFO abductions. But anyway, hmm. so I, <laughs> I've gone this way before. I've been to Pasadena, Glendale, Burbank. I lived up there for 15 years. I know my way around, like the back of my hand. Somehow I ended up on the 2, heading north to Sacramento, and I had lost at least two hours of time. Um, in a panic, this is when cell phones were those big giant things that you could kill somebody with. Right, right. And the reception was really bad. You know, called my husband in a panic, and he said, do not go, and just turn around, come back home. Well, I never thought about it afterwards. I, you know, I didn't want to know what happened. I didn't really feel like anything happened. I just thought I I blacked out or something. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I um, hosted a radio show, and one of the guests that was co-hosting with me is a missing time expert. And she called me afterwards and said, I know what happened to you. I know exactly where it happened, and I want you to come up to L.A., and we're going to go drive the freeway at the same time of night. So we're going up um, probably next month. We're going to go see if anything happens, because apparently this stretch of freeway is notorious for abduction. Is that right? I'm not saying that's what happened, but it'll be an interesting experience.
4: And also, I, you know,
5: To see if I make it from Burbank to Glendale in one piece. But. And again,
4: an interesting contrast and comparison of the, our two co-authors. We have on the one hand, Larry, <laughs> who doesn't want to know what happened to him.
5: I don't really want to know either, but she told me. Well, you know, she but insisted, you're confronting this I, head on. you What you're, happened to you?
4: You're going you're gonna to make that trek again. You do want to know, Marie. Oh,
5: hell yeah. Of course I am. My <laughs>
4: word. Uh <laughs> Well, wow. I mean, I, I, how you could say yours isn't as interesting. Not, I mean, Larry, you're, you're, they're both absolutely fascinating. I mean, uh, but very quickly, here's mine. Uh, I don't even know if you call it missing time. I um, This is at another radio station. I lived in another part of town, and I used to take the same route home, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning. And I would make it left off of uh, – these street names mean nothing to you, but just so I can orient myself. Eglinton onto Leslie, and Leslie up to York Mills. Well... Once I got on to uh, to Leslie off of uh, uh, Eglinton, it took me, I don't know, maybe eight, nine minutes uh, to get up to to York Mills where I would turn right. And uh, so I'm driving along and all of a sudden, uh, eight, nine minutes uh, comes up. And uh, I, it's, it's a bit foggy, a little hazy. Uh, so I just, I go by the traffic lights. I see the lights. Okay, this must be York Mills. I'm about to turn right. And it's not York Mills. It's like Finch. <laughs> um, it's like Finch Avenue. I mean, I've shot way past York Mills. I've shot past the 401, past Shepherd, And I couldn't make it that, uh, uh, I couldn't make it up to Finch in eight or nine minutes. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I had no idea how I did that. Uh... I mean that's not missing time that's almost an acceleration of time I'm and it,
5: yeah, you know there's things called time storms, time slips, time accelerations, yeah,
4: my word, uh yeah, it's like not, you
5: enter a little void and you know, time yeah. just shifts,
4: yeah, it's not like i you know I was traveling uh, you know thirty miles over the speed limit or anything uh, which I would yeah. have had to do to, in order to do that, but uh uh, now mine by you know compared to the two of yours that is a banal experience but
6: uh, <laughs> well you don't know I mean, no. you don't know
5: how you fed up that way but I really have no desire to find out what happened but it'll be it'll be fun just to go up there and drive around with this woman she's an interesting person.
4: Would you ever, uh, either of you ever consider um, uh, sort of a a recovered memory session with a hypnotherapist? The
5: interesting thing is at the time it happened, I was working with Yvonne Smith, who, she runs an organization now called Ciro. And she was one of the very first people that Bud Hopkins trained to hypnotize abductees. Mm -hmm. And so I had her, you know, she was my friend. I could have had her put me under at any time, but I just didn't feel any kind of compulsion to do that I didn't feel like anything had really happened except that my brain glitched Uh, I know some people have those experiences and feel discomfort or or have nightmares or what have you or they have a mark on their arm I had nothing except Mm. that I panicked because I was going to Sacramento and I really didn't want to
4: Larry I think I know the answer for you you would have no <laughs> I- interest in going under uh, uh, with a past not, not a past life <laughs> no, but a regression therapy I would
6: do it I you would. would no I completely would do it yeah I absolutely would cuz oh. I'd be very and it would actually be really interesting to have not just myself but have some of the other folks that were involved in it as well and you know to see if there was any kind of correlation between mm-hmm. uh, our stories
4: What if I mean we're not we're sort of um, getting off the sort of the deja vu path here but I mean we have to pursue this. I mean, the obviously the elephant in the room is that, that uh, you know, we're talking about alien abduction here, possibly, for both of you. Uh, I mean, is that something that you would be prepared to find out?
5: I'm not concerned about it at all. First of all, I don't think they'd want me because, you know, I'm a lot tougher than I look. But, it, see, that's the thing. If I would have felt at any time after that happened, and I was immersed in UFO research at the time, um I was a member of Mufon mm-hmm. I just never had the feeling like oh this might be an abduction let me look into this uh, it just never even occurred to me and it still doesn't I still don't have any inclinations towards that uh, but I you know I'd be curious to see what happened if it did turn out that I would abduct, that I was abducted it would be very interesting I mean I don't think it's happened since I haven't had missing time since, no. so it must have been a one-shot deal, and they didn't like what they found.
1: <laughs>
5: <laughs>
4: Larry, would you be prepared for that eventuality? I wouldn't. You no,
6: know, I think I would. I, you know, it, it's probably only a matter of time before our, our alien overlords... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I probably would. Yeah. You know, it, it's, that's something that I, I think I wouldn't say it would be the most comfortable thing, but you know, certainly to, to find out the truth one way or the other I think yeah I would definitely
4: do it what's, uh, what's next for the both of you are you working together on something
6: oh yeah when are we not
5: <laughs>
4: mm-hmm.
5: yeah we have two books that we are we've signed to do one of them um, is called The Trinity Secret The Power of Three and the Code of Creation and that will be out early 2011 and then we have another book but we haven't decided yet what to write about so that'll be
2: interesting
4: and uh, Larry, uh, how much time do you uh, you spend? Uh, I mean, with with the Arkansas uh, uh, paranormal outfit that you're associated with, uh, mm-hmm. our past uh, Arkansas Paranormal and Anomaly Studies team. I mean, are you are you out in the field a great deal?
6: Um, yeah, we are. Um, I would say we've we've cut back a significant amount of the investigations that we've been doing simply because of the fact that I'm really not well because i'm really busy but also i'm really not convinced a hundred percent that you have to go someplace to have an experience you know it seems like a lot of the experiences and a lot of the the experiential data that we get the location really has has no bearing whatsoever on it so in today's economy you know why waste the gas and everything else going to locations i mean it's cool to go to these neat old historic locations but at the same time for real research purposes I'm not so convinced that you need to go to these locations to actually get usable data.
4: You know, true words were never were never spoken. Uh, you know, um, as, as you point out in this book, we can have uh, a déjà vu experience just sitting. I could have one right now sitting in this very chair. We don't have to go, uh, you know, uh, right. out, out there in the field in search of these things.
5: In, in the privacy of your own home. And, it, and it'll come on any time. You cannot... Predict it. You can't prevent it, and you can't force it.
4: And the thing that uh, I, I I actually enjoy these deja vu uh, uh, experiences. They're not, uh, at least thus far, I haven't had one that's completely unhinged me. But uh, uh, I just find, I, wow, that was kind of cool.
5: Yeah, they're non-threatening. I think it's a reminder that there's more going on than meets the eye. It just sort of makes you smile and think, wow, that reality is much more than we think it is.
4: And that that whole that whole idea, of course, is uh, uh, is keeping the both of you very busy, and it's keeping me very busy, and it's keeping our uh, your readers and my listeners uh, uh, coming back for more and more. Larry and uh, Marie always enjoy our conversations. Good luck with the uh, the book on the uh, on uh, the Trinity the Trinity Factor. Is that what you're calling it?
5: Trinity's Secret. The Trinity we'll have Secret. We'll come back on and talk about it. You Thank you
4: so much an, for
6: having us on. You
4: have an Thank open you. invitation. Thank you.
1: Awesome.
4: Bye bye. Marie Jones, Larry Flaxman, the Deja Vu Enigma, the
0: Lab Gal, Dr. Patricia Doyle, coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740.
2: We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creed. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of this second time speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood.
6: Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers and brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders, by our kings and queens. Brainwashed in the open and brainwashed behind the scenes.
2: Live from Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sennett from Zuma Radio, AM 740.
4: The news out of the Gulf of Mexico uh, remains grim. We're being told that the uh, British Petroleum Macondo oil well kill uh, has been delayed because of a uh, Gulf of Mexico storm uh, that has uh, uh, left a lot of debris and it is uh, hampering efforts to to kill the well. And then we're getting news uh, of this... Other oil well spilled in the Gulf of Mexico in the uh, the marsh area of Louisiana, a, uh, a tugboat early in the morning uh, uh, crashed into a an abandoned uh, uh, oil well. and uh, so now we have that to contend with. And now we're hearing from the uh, the new uh, uh, CEO, I guess of uh, BP uh, that he would actually absolutely, he says, without hesitation, eat. Seafood coming out of the Gulf of Mexico, and he'd feed it to his uh, family. Well, what else would you expect uh, the the BP CEO to say uh, in light of the circumstances down there? But there's a lot that we're not hearing about that's going on down there. And uh, we're about to to take a step behind the headlines. And uh, the news, if you think it's grim, well, wait till you hear what my next guest has to say. She uh, is a regular contributor to the program, but it's been a while since we've heard from The Lab Gal. She's been battling uh, a number of uh, serious illnesses, but I'm glad to say that she's on the mend and back once again. She's a retired doctor of veterinarian medicine. She holds a Ph.D. in business administration and tropical agricultural economics from the University of West Indies. And today, The Lab Gal, Dr. Patricia Doyle, spends her days riding her motorcycle, rehabilitating injured deer on her farm in upstate New York, And she's also dedicated her remaining years to researching and tracking emerging diseases and viruses, especially zoonotic diseases such as avian influenza and anthropod-borne illnesses. She also has a keen interest in bioterrorism and chemical weapons. She is uh, uh, with us on the line from her home in upstate New York, Dr. Patricia Doyle. Patricia, welcome back, and uh, how are you, first of
3: all? Well, Richard, it's a pleasure to be here, and I feel fine. Had the bike out, so I'm I'm on the mend. I'm doing well, and uh, yeah, the situation in the Gulf is uh, extremely, extremely, uh, uh, you know, bad. It's really a, a mega, mega catastrophe catastrophe well
4: I want to ask you about this um, uh, this oil dispersant that BP is using uh, correct uh, first uh first of all what is this dispersant intended to do and uh, I mean oil in itself is toxic but when when you uh, my understanding is that when you add it to the the uh, oil dispersant you know it, it becomes it can become a nightmare so what is the oil dispersant right. intended to do exactly and 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 what's the what do you see as the the the, the danger?
3: <laughs> Plain and simple, the white choose corrects it. There's three corrects it. We have corrects it 9500, uh, 9527, 9527A, 9500, which they uh, have been using, is the most toxic dispersant. But corrects it um, acts in such a way as to uh, cause bacteria and yeast to uh, eat away some of the oil. But uh, what it does, it, it kind of um, masks or hides the oil. So in other words, you, you would look at the water and it looks clear. Now people have um, gone into the water, looked nice and clear, and they've hit something that they, they have termed uh, an invisible jellyfish. And they, they come into this gunk. It, you, you don't see it, but it's there. So it really is not um, making the oil disperse, so to speak, to disappear. Um, it's, it, what it's doing is uh, just kind of masking it from view. And uh, it's highly toxic. Uh, or it's four times more toxic than oil. Um, now, corrects it is lethal at 2.6 parts per million and oil is lethal at 11 parts per million and what corrects it um, is doing to people and of course to wildlife and, and fish and marine life, the turtles it, uh, it's killing them and with human beings corrects it and, and of course the oil the uh, hydrocarbons um, can cause lung Uh, kidney, liver damage, um, heart damage, and reproductive damage. And I would advise uh, young pregnant women uh, in the Gulf of Mexico, that if you're living along the Gulf, get out. Because it has been known to cause birth defects. And um, I'm hoping that long-term monitoring of the individuals who uh, not only cleaned up the beaches and uh, worked in the cleanup, uh, but I'm hoping that also residents will get long-term monitoring. We know that the uh, Exxon Valdez uh, used Correxit and um, the average age of the Exxon Valdez cleanup worker, 51 years of age, that was the average age. Uh, most of the workers are either sick or dying.
4: My word! And think yeah. about all those volunteers, uh, Doctor yeah. Patricia Doyle. I mean, for example, I'm guessing that if you were, you know, uh, healthy and 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 younger, you'd probably be one of the first people down there to help yeah, because you love sure. animals to help, yeah. you know, clean these uh, the water, uh, yeah. fowl and, and different, yeah. uh, you know, sea turtles. Uh, but what about these volunteers that are going down there to to rescue these? To, to rescue the wildlife affected by right, the oil pick spill? Up
3: the stuff. Well, first of all, uh, BP, I, I, for the life of me, don't understand. They told the workers that anyone, uh, any of the workers cleaning the beaches, if they wear a respirator, they are fired. Um, they gave them these little Tyvek white suits. You've seen them. And if you notice in the video, uh, people that do have the Tyvek just have them tied like a belt around their waist. And um they uh do have gloves, but the problem with the correct fit and the oil, these are the uh the uh, vo- these volatile uh, organic compounds is you breathe them in. Now um some of the oil as you know has uh um, benzene and they're breathing this in and they will get what's called I call the BP flu they get the respiratory um, flu-like symptoms respiratory illness and this is the very same uh, symptoms that the Exxon Valdez uh, cleanup workers um, did get why aren't and, they
4: allowing them to wear respirators that doesn't make any sense
3: well I guess what uh, the company is trying to play down the health risk and uh, so if if people see the workers out there and wearing the full Tyvek suit and uh, wearing respirators etc then uh, it would give people the idea of what's actually going on that it's a toxic environment and for the life of me people that are roaming barefoot and on these beaches and running into the water. I don't understand it. We know that some of the people that have gone in the water came out and um, they were sick. They were sick within hours. Um, I believe four people uh, in Pensacola uh, came out of the water and had heart palpitations and they experienced uh, this BP flu. And another thing, Richard, is there's really no way to tell? Uh, you can't smell it. Uh, some people have said uh, that they can teach people to smell the um, oil and the dispersant, but you can't. And once you do get any odor, it's too late.
4: Dr. Patricia so? Doyle is with us uh, talking about uh, some of the additional fallout of the uh, the BP oil disaster in the uh, the Gulf uh, and efforts, of course, to kill. Uh, the well have been uh, suspended while they clear away the, uh, uh, the debris from the, uh, the latest Gulf storm. Uh, we'll take a quick time out when we come back. Uh, what's worse is that this dispersant, uh, as we'll find out, is being sprayed from planes onto the water below. So you always have that chance of, of drift. Some of the molecules becoming mixed with air molecules. And uh, I don't know, it could land in you know somebody's backyard, in their swimming pool, even miles and miles away from the golf course. Gulf Coast. We'll discuss with Dr. Patricia Doyle, the lab gal, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away.
2: You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740.
4: Welcome back. Dr. Patricia Doyle is with us, the lab gal, uh, talking about the oil dispersant Corexit, especially 9527, which she says causes birth defects and so many other problems. And uh, when you combine the dispersant with the oil, you have a very, very bad situation uh, for health. And uh, she mentioned earlier, the average lifespan, for example, of the Exxon Valdez cleanup workers was 51 years of age. I mean, In other words, they... Uh, They've tracked their uh, their lifespan, and they are they're dying much younger than they should be. Fifty one years of age, and uh, we're going back nearly. It's been nearly thirty years, hasn't it, uh, Patricia? About
3: twenty, maybe twenty one. Tw- oh,
4: she's twenty one. Yeah. Okay.
3: I did want to get into what's incorrect. It, um, Richard, we know that it has propylene glycol uh, radiator freeze antifreeze. Um, but here we go butox toxi ethanol and um also uh, as you mentioned they were spraying from planes they've been constantly until that cap went on constantly 24 7 dispersing uh this stuff underwater at the wellhead i've been watching the rovs i'm an rov watcher and um 24 7 they had the, uh, this wand pointed into the well. They had it all around the well uh, from hoses and they've been spraying dispersant. And uh, the, the dispersant that's sprayed over the water, here we have problems, as you mentioned, with drift. And then you have the very hot water and uh, the dispersant uh, being sucked up, so to speak, uh, into the water. And then it's carried on rain. It's carried not just 100, 200, 300 miles inland. Uh, it, it's been documented in Tennessee because it's killing off not only crops, flowers, plants. It's even killing the weeds. Um, it's they, killing they, the weeds? Yes, and, and it's been also documented as far as Iowa. Uh, the whole eastern US and I, I would imagine parts of Canada are going to start to uh, to find this once that we start getting the hurricanes and that we get the uh, uh, the winds coming up from the Gulf of Mexico, more and more vegetation will be kiff- killed off. And it's very distinctive. It actually um, it seems like it burns the uh, plant. And it creates these little white circles, and they seem to get larger and larger and burn through the plant. And um, So
4: wonderful. The, so now, uh, Dr. Doyle, now the, even the rain causes cancer.
3: The rain is carrying the dispersant and the oil. Um,
4: Hundreds of miles uh, inland.
3: Yeah well, yeah, well, we're talking a 1,000 miles up when you get into Iowa and into Illinois, Um, They've documented in um, Missouri and um, New Jersey, so it's uh, you know this stuff is killing plants, and also what uh, what it does is it stresses the plants so that they're more vulnerable to the plant diseases and plant pests. And uh, what uh, I also did want to bring in is that the This corrects it, it contains heavy metals. Now, um, when the chemicals are uh, burned from the surface of the water, in other words, when they get into the air, they create nitrogen oxide, sulfur dioxide, carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, uh, acidic aerosols, and uh, solid particulate matter, soot.
2: Hmm.
3: And um, so this this stuff is people are breathing in, and uh, it's just very, very dangerous. It also has mercury, lead, cyanide, uh, arsenic. Uh, These are not things that you really want uh, would want to be breathing in or getting on your skin. Now, what the dispersant does, well, if oil... Uh, gets on your skin and it's mixed with the dispersant. The dispersant is acts like in in, um, in horse language we have a product, a DMSO, and we'll mix uh, wh- whatever potion we're going to put on the horse to rub them in, and we'll mix it with DMSO because the DMSO gets it right through the skin, and that's what the dispersant is doing. It's uh, getting. These um, poisons into the body; it, it just goes right through the skin uh, like it was nothing. And um,
4: Doctor Doyle, you uh, you you also were mentioning in an email that you sent to me that uh, the BP they've set up a tent at uh, yeah. at Grand Isle and yeah. they have their BP first responders or EMTs are yes, supposed to EMT. see they're supposed to, to treat any workers. Yes, and any worker who goes to a doctor, any BP worker who's on the beach cleaning up or what have you, they go to a doctor or a hospital fired. or other treatment than the, the EMT tent on Grand Isle are being fired? Do we know this for a fact? I
3: tell them you're going to be fired, yes. Uh, people can go to YouTube and type in uh, any videos they want to see. Um, you can type in uh, EMT, uh, okay, uh, BP workers, um, let's say, fired if they go to a doctor. And there'll be uh, a lot of videos. I mean, some of these videos are made by just regular people, you know. And it's amazing now with all the cameras and uh, the uh, cell phones, uh, how you can get this stuff right, right, broadcast it right from uh, your camera. So um, in any event there, they are frowning on it they're threatening to fire them just as they threaten to fire them if they use a respirator and um what they did is they set this tent up and basically it has nothing absolutely nothing they have they stocked band-aids um they stocked uh, uh creams uh, you know somebody gets sunburned but they have nothing no uh, vaccine For tetanus, if somebody uh, gets uh, stuck with a rusty uh, nail or some kind of rusty metal, uh, there's really nothing that they can treat them with other than a little uh, antibiotic neosporin and a Band-Aid. I guess they wash it off. But there is uh, basically nothing. And... um, They they uh, said that this uh, people that are coming down with this uh, chest pain, um, the uh, symptoms of uh, flu-like symptoms, the the BP has said that it's uh, food poisoning, and they claim food poisoning happens a lot um, in uh, these camps when there are a lot of people together in the hot weather. I'm sure it does, but (laughs) unless they ate some shellfish from the Gulf. I don't see it as food poisoning. Um, so they, they're going to have to be he,
4: they're going to have to be monitoring uh, the residents and, and workers yes, in this area yes. for years and decades maybe. Yeah. Yes. Do,
3: yes. Do well, f- they'll get the um actually they'll they'll probably have a lot of uh, initial uh hospital visits of residents um and what they need to do is watch these next uh, 9 months and see if uh, as women uh, go to have their babies and they'll have to uh, really look for birth defects because, uh, and that's, they'll have to uh, prove it because I believe that if people have ba- children that have uh, birth defects and it was the fault of uh, BP's uh, spill, I, I believe that people should be paid and compensated. How do you compensate it for somebody that uh, may have uh, a leg missing or may have Down syndrome, I would suspect that there are going to be a large number of Down syndrome and mildly retarded children born uh, in Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi.
4: I quite frankly don't see how a BP is going to, uh, to survive this. Uh,
3: I don't know. I hope they do, because if they don't, uh, then these people will never be compensated. Exactly. Uh, you know, I, I, laughingly, I told Steve, I said, maybe we should go fill up at BP. I want to see them uh, make money so they can pay these people, because if they do go belly up, no one will get paid.
4: <laughs> but but if you're, <laughs> let's say you're a uh, a resident of Iowa. Yeah. And um, you uh, somehow, you know, you uh, you came in, came in contact with uh, benzene that's contained in right. this oil dispersant and right. that caused some autoimmune disease or Parkinson's. How Parkinson's. do you prove that and then how do you make a claim against BP for that?
3: Well, um, you know, and immediately if somebody suspects that they don't feel good and uh, they were out in the rain, I would say immediately get some blood work so you can get... Toxicology report because uh you, you want to be able to document that you have um this in your body if possible, and you keep uh, keep the results for uh you know for the duration of your life if something comes along um nobody in your family had Parkinson, and um, you know all of a sudden at forty years old uh, years of age, you get it. Um, you know something's not quite right. You know, you know this they, is all
4: starting to remind me of the the just the the impacts, the the damage. Uh, it, Chernobyl. This sounds like a Chernobyl situation.
3: It is. it is. It's a terrible situation, and it's been going up the east coast. Um, there were reports of tar balls even going in New Jersey onto onto the beaches in New Jersey. And it's carried in the loop current, the Gulf Stream. Um, My guess is we might see a little bit of weather change this winter. It could be either a very, very cold winter or a very warm winter. I'm I'm thinking we might see a very cold winter because the Gulf Stream might just slow down. Uh, I don't know how much is in it. And then we have all this on their oil uh, problem. Now, oh, let me really just get you to hold there.
4: Me? Let me get you to hold there, Dr. Doyle. Yes, because uh, these uh, uh, oil uh, leaks and and well blowouts and, and near misses are far more common than uh, than we're led to believe. And we'll, we'll talk about that on the other side. Dr. Patricia Doyle, the lab gal with us here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM 740.
2: When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740.
4: Just a reminder, Bill Gibbons, the dinosaur hunter, will join us. A little bit later in the program, he'll talk about his uh, new book on that elusive creature he's been tracking over in Africa for many a year, Mokeli Mbembe. And uh, he'll take us around the world and a, uh, a news roundup from the world of cryptozoology. That's Dr. Bill Gibbons here on The Conspiracy Show. Right now, Dr. Patricia Doyle is uh, with us as we talk about the uh, the bleak situation uh, in the, uh, the Gulf Coast while BP is attempting to kill the Macando... Uh, Oil well, they've uh, uh, sort of had to put that on hold while they clean up clean up the debris from the uh, the storm, which is hampering efforts. But even once they get this thing capped, and the uh, the cleanup continues in earnest for what's got to be, you know, many 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 years, this oil dispersant, uh, as Dr. Doyle has uh, mentioned, uh, is is uh, is going to cause long term. Catastrophic health issues, not just in the Gulf Coast. Keeping in mind that this dispersant is being uh, sprayed from planes, and uh, this, you know, the uh, this dispersant can mix with the air molecules and float inland. And then you've got, for example, uh, when uh, when Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, came, it picked up water from the Gulf Coast and uh, uh, dispersed it 500 miles or more inland. And now we're getting reports that this um, benzene and, uh, and, and other toxic elements found in this dispersant are raining down in places as far away as Iowa and actually killing the weeds. It's like Roundup raining down from the sky. It's a very bleak situation. But, Dr. Doyle, these uh, leaks and blown wells and near misses are far more uh, common than we're being led to believe. Of course, we have uh, the uh, the situation uh, in in Michigan uh, that's going on. Tell us, is that the Kalamazoo River?
3: Yes, it's now in the Kalamazoo River, <laughs> and uh, there were thousands of uh, gallons of oil. And uh, when you're in a river situation, uh, it's entirely different than the uh, ocean, and it's very very hard to uh, clean. Uh, you know, the Exxon Valdez that area. It's still not totally cleaned out yet, so it's going to be very difficult. And then you're dealing with um, oil in the river uh, that gets up onto people's property. Um, they have a real nightmare situation, although I've heard that the, uh, the break in the uh, pipe has been fixed and the oil stopped. Um, there is still thousands of gallons of oil out there, and it's heading toward the uh, towards Lake Michigan.
2: Oh so, dear Lord!
3: Yeah, if it reaches Lake Michigan, then you have a, an entirely different situation, which is not good. And uh, what really stunned me was—I uh, guess it was last week at one a.m. in the morning—a uh, tugboat hits an abandoned well in the middle of uh, a Louisiana marsh by the coast, one of the worst places that uh, a gushing oil oil well should be found. And it's right in the marshlands. And these are lands where uh, tuna, the Gulf tuna, come into the marshes uh, to spawn. And we can lose an entire uh, generation of tuna. It's uh, It's been hard to can Kent Ridley, really turtles, um, they're highly endangered, and uh, they've lost a lot of the Kent Ridleaf and of other sea turtles. And um, so now we have this other well that's been gushing, and I've heard that has since been capped. That was gushing up straight into the air. Uh, people can go to YouTube and, uh, and look at video of that oil well gushing, because they still have the videos on there. And um, I sent you the uh, email with the uh, oil drum. It's a website really buy oil people for oil people. And um, they had a list of near misses. And there's about 15 or 20 near misses so far uh, in 2010. And we're just starting uh, the eighth month. So in seven months, you've had almost uh, fifteen to twenty. I was starting to count them when we went on the air, so I lost count.
4: I'm—I I mean, I'm the host of the conspiracy show, and maybe I'm paranoid, uh, Doctor yeah. Doyle. But all of these near misses and uh, oil well accidents uh, happening in in such a short span of time, I'm—I'm yeah. I'm starting to think corporate sabotage. What do you think? Yeah.
3: yeah. Well, what uh, you know, I've always. Um, I, Yeah, I've always kind of been quiet on New World Order and that sort of thing, even aliens. I don't know, so I can't speak on it. But when I, you know, when I started reading about the tugboat that hits this abandoned well at 1 a.m. in the middle of a marsh, you know, I started thinking that this is giving people a lot of credibility who speak on these uh, subjects. And it just seemed like an awful lot of, they found other uh, wells leaking. Uh, one well about five miles from the Macondo uh, supposedly had been um, damaged during, I believe, Hurricane Ike. I'm not quite sure. But it's been, uh, you know, quite a few years, I think, from 2006. And uh, they found video that it, that's leaking. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden we hear of all these leaks. And then I uh, went to the oil drums today, and they had from the um, Minerals Management, uh, I think it's the MMS, uh, Minerals uh, Management.
4: Yeah, uh, this is the government agency that basically agency. is made yes. up of uh, oil exec wannabes uh, right. that turned a blind eye and allowed, yes. uh, you know, a lot of this yes. stuff well, to slip through the cracks. The
3: and they had. Uh, quite a few, and I, I see that there's a lot of fire and explosion. Um, they call them accidents. Uh, there were quite a few that were a uh, result of fire and fire and explosion. And another one that kind of shocked me was the uh, riser disconnect. Um, the riser, I, I believe, I, you know, I'm not an oil man or an oil person, but I the riser um Comes from the, bo- uh, the bottom of the ship and down, I, I believe, uh, into the well, uh, into the wellhead, and, and the the boat disconnects um, from the, this riser when they're drilling. And what happens is, is the drilling mud that they use, synthetic mud, um, they use to drill down. And I couldn't explain <laughs> why or how that happened. But uh, in any event, this riser disconnects from the ship. Um, I, I, I guess I can see that if the currents change or if the storm comes up. But I would think they would stop drilling, uh, you know, when the storm... One would was. think. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that was kind of uh, do you think surprising.
4: If, do you think that there, there should be a mass evacuation of of the, uh, of the area?
3: Where, where will people go? I would say that, uh, you know, if uh, you, your wife is pregnant, uh, I would say maybe uh, if she has family out of the area uh, to head west because uh, the, eastern, the entire eastern US is going to be rained on. Uh, and if you can't get your uh, loved one out or if you have young children, um, then I would say you make sure that you got your air conditioner going. Um, make sure that uh, your loved ones don't go out when it's raining under any condition. Don't get that stuff on you. It's into the skin. Um, you know, I, I know it's kind of embarrassing to wear the mask. I've done it, and, you know, I feel a little embarrassed. I, I admit it. Uh, last year, because of this wine flu, I wanted to keep flu free, and I used the uh, gloves and I used the uh, surgical uh, mask, the N95. And uh, you know, it's not always easy to do. You go to a mall, and you know, you could be the only one wearing it. But uh, you know, it could save your baby from some real serious birth defects. That's my main worry would be getting elderly people, very young, and uh, pregnant women, the infirms out at least from the Gulf Coast. If they have family inland, maybe they can visit. Yeah. And um, if there's any way to get them further west, um, from west of Houston on towards California or up uh, uh, into Idaho, might be a nice time to take a trip. Uh, but uh, this stuff is really going to be in the m- environment, even when the oil well is capped. If they cap it, um, I know they were talking about nuking it. Lord help us!
1: Oh I my hope Lord. they don't
3: do that. <laughs> uh, you know, you I know, understand uh, that if they do nuke it, it would be you know uh, this well is deep. Uh, some people have uh, said that it might be thirty thousand feet under that Gulf floor. But still, you know, it's not it's not uh, something that I would like to see happen. Now, what they're planning was that static top kill that I don't understand. Um, I'm not an oil man, but I don't understand. I thought they were doing the relief well and that they were going to kill it. From the bottom.
4: I think they're just making this up as they go along, uh, quite I, I frankly, no Dr. Doyle. I have no idea
3: why they're going to do a static top kill. Well, kill.
4: My question to you is, you know, with the, this, this this crap raining down on us and, and yeah. causing all of these uh, uh, illnesses, yeah. and uh, they'll come up with a name, you mentioned BP flu, BP yeah. oil flu. I wonder how long it'll be before they have a vaccine for BP oil oh, flu.
3: Oh, yes. That, I'm sure they're working on it as we speak. Uh, You know, Richard, you know my feeling on it. You know, too much, too much. There is just too many vaccines for young people, and I think that it's causing uh, adverse effects more than it's helping right now. Um, They they had a good, uh, came up with a good idea when they came up with the smallpox uh, years ago. That was all people had was one, but uh, then it got to be uh, now everything. Uh, HIV-AIDS vaccine, which will never work. Um, flu vaccine, which we know doesn't work. It doesn't protect people from the flu or keep you from getting the flu. What they claim now is that, well, it could mitigate uh, the flu and maybe prevent complications, uh, pneumonia, but you've got to take the m- pneumonia vaccine um, to prevent that. And then they have come up with just so many, uh, this Gardasil a uh, vaccine probably doesn't work anyway. I think I,
4: th- I think I saw a commercial for a vaccine for diarrhea for all uh, for crying <laughs> yes, out loud. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, uh, it's you know when I again think.
4: I come back to this whole idea with all of these yeah. so-called oil well near misses and and yeah. uh, and spills that are happening create the disease yeah. in order to offer the cure.
3: Exactly. Instead of just keeping these. Uh, poisons the propylene uh, glycol and the butoxyethanol away from people and uh, the arsenic and the cyanide and all that just just don't get it on us don't let us breathe it in well you know um, uh, i you know. i we
4: we've, we've talked a lot about on the show over the years this uh, this plan for some sort of depopulation a program. Yes. Maybe it's finally being put in place. Maybe this is part of it, or am I just crazy?
3: I don't know. I I don't know. But uh, you know what? Um, Steve gave me a what he, he thinks it sounds like they they're doing this now so they can get cap and trade. Uh, which I, I frankly I don't even understand. Cap and trade sounds like nonsense to me. Uh, where you can't go over a uh, certain uh, number of whatever carbons uh, emissions and if you do you got to buy them from somebody else or you know i just don't i, I know that's simplistic uh, description but i don't understand it well
4: somebody's getting rich off this scheme so, and uh, exactly. one of those people is al gore i'm convinced of that listen yeah. Doctor Doyle, uh, I'm so glad to, to have you back on the program and to hear your voice again. You sound uh, you're sounding uh, much better, and great to, to know that you're back out on your motorbike. That's yep. always a good sign when Doctor <laughs> Doyle is uh, on uh, on her motorcycle. Look out! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until next time, stay well and keep in touch.
3: Okay, we'll do, Richard. Bye bye. Right, have a good night.
4: Bye bye. Coming up, Doctor Bill Gibbons, another doctor. This one, a creation scientist. And uh, he'll talk about his latest book on uh, the Mokele Mbembe creature he's been tracking for many years down in Africa. And we'll get a, uh, a look at the world of cryptozoology from around the world here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us.
2: To Nessie, pyramids to pandemics, all is revealed on the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. It's like a reunion
4: show tonight on the uh, Conspiracy Show. First, we had Dr. Patricia Doyle, the lab gal, who we haven't uh, spoken to in quite a while, and it was a delight having her back on and hearing that she's uh, safe and sound and healthy again. Uh, and now. Another long-time friend of this uh, program, he's uh, been tracking a mysterious creature for uh, many years over in Africa called the Bembe. The local pygmies over there uh, describe this creature, uh, and its appearance uh, seems to strongly resemble uh, what we used to call a brontosaurus. They now call it an apotosaurus, but we're still talking about a dinosaur. A living, breathing dinosaur still walking the earth. Could it be? Well, my next guest uh, seems to think that it is, in fact, a dinosaur over there in Africa. Uh, But he's also a uh, creation scientist and uh, the author of Missionaries and Monsters. Always good to have him back on the program. It's been too long. The dinosaur hunter, Bill Gibbons. How are you, Bill?
1: I'm great, Richard. It's good to talk to you again.
4: Yes, it's been too long, and you are uh, very busy. You're getting uh, ready to uh, head off to uh, a tour of the U.K. and Europe, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, but first, let's do a, a roundup of the uh, some of the stories Uh, From the field of cryptozoology, Uh, you've got some very fresh news out of the former Soviet Republic of Tajikistan. Tell me what's going on over there.
1: Right. Well, for your readers' interest, uh, Tajikistan is a small Central Asian nation that gained independence from the former Soviet Union in 1991. Now, in the Ramat Valley, which is about 65 kilometers from Dushanbe, the capital city, they've started to see yetis, or strange Bigfoot-like creatures. Now, the Roman Valley curves towards the mountains in the center of the country, which is sprinkled with medieval hamlets and these tiny little third-world towns. Now, the people there are very familiar with these creatures. Now, interestingly enough, there are still bands of Mujahideen rebel fighters inhabiting the mountainous areas, but the people are much more afraid of these yeti-like creatures than they are of rebels. Now, even the Tajiki scientists are taking this matter seriously. Now, the animal is called the kull. That's K-H-U-L-L. It's been known to the locals for many generations. Hunters, village people have been chased by them. Um, They are very aggressive creatures. Described as uh, six feet tall plus, heavily, heavily built like a gorilla, dark brown, coarse hair, typical ape-like face, but walking upright, uh, in a typical human bipedal manner. Uh, in fact, we now know that since the old Soviet Union has since collapsed, there's more information coming out that the former uh, Soviet Academy of Sciences sent a number of expeditions into this area uh, of Tajikistan to hunt for this creature. Now, there was a terrible civil war in that area which lasted from 1992 to 1997. And government soldiers, as well as rebel groups, both reported spotting these ape-like creatures in the remote mountains and even fired at them. Now, the creature hasn't, in fact, they haven't managed to kill one yet, but um, they're being observed with, shall we say, uh, just almost alarming frequency. And I think it's only sooner or later before someone produces one of these creatures for real. Uh, it sounds to me like um, very similar to animals that have been observed from time to time in Afghanistan, uh, Pakistan, India, and China, all, by the way, which border this little. Central Asian country of Tajikistan.
4: And quite a contrast with uh, sort of the the gentle giants uh, that we often hear about in the American Northwest, people that have had supposedly encounters with uh, Bigfoot, and uh, they seem to be, uh, although... Uh, you know, somewhat frightening in appearance, they seem to be gentle creatures. But the Bigfoot uh, are are, are, a, are a, a particularly different. Uh, it sounds like in uh, in Central uh, Asia.
1: Well, these animals seem to be much more aggressive. When people encounter Bigfoots in the Pacific Northwest, they often say that although they're very frightened, the Bigfoots or the Sasquatches will simply turn around and walk rapidly away from the human observers. They're not at all interested in any kind of confrontation. Now, the cow of uh, Tajikistan in the mountains there, apparently they are very aggressive towards human beings and will chase after them. And we've had a case recently where um, a villager was collecting some firewood just in the foothills, not even too close to the mountains, and a female of these creatures appeared and chased him for his life. Now, perhaps he he got too close to the animal's lair, where she may have had some young. Uh, that 's why she was perhaps aggressive. I mean any wild animal with with young is a very dangerous combination indeed so uh, but they they do seem to be overly aggressive, and I think sooner or later a soldier, a hunter someone is going to shoot one of these creatures, and uh, we'll be able to determine where it fits in with this this menagerie of Mysterious ape-like creatures that seem to inhabit this part of the world.
4: Well, nevertheless, uh, I'm going to strike uh, Tajikistan off my desired destination list. No, <laughs> no offense to the good people of uh, Tajikistan, but uh, the last thing I want to contend with, uh, you know, aside from a subpar hotel room, is a an aggressive Bigfoot. Who needs that kind <laughs> of aggravation, Bill? Um, but there is another killer on the loose uh, uh, in the former Soviet Union, and this time in the uh, in in Russia and we're talking about a lake monster. Tell me more.
1: Right, well, this news broke on July 12th this year. Reports of people vanishing from Lake Shaney in Siberia only to have their bodies washed up, uh, eaten, uh, or partially eaten by, as one observer put it, a creature with very large teeth. Now, of course, Lake Shaney, spelled C-H-A-N-Y, is a massive lake in Siberia not too deep up to about 400 feet in places um and the news broke when uh, it trickled out of the area to uh, the russian news agency now news sources are telling us uh, that russian fishermen are now demanding a government investigation on this killer creature now they describe an animal which is similar to loch ness a bulky body a long neck a small head but with a large mouth filled with sharp teeth and this thing is very very aggressively. It's it's attacked and killed several fishermen over the past few months, and people are now just getting too afraid uh, to venture onto the lake. Um, But one photograph has appeared. It's a little little out of focus. It looks like a long neck or appendage of some kind of a large creature in the lake breaking the surface. Um, But it would be intriguing indeed to see if the Russian government does investigate this and what they come up with.
4: All right, and I guess somewhat closer to home, now we're getting reports of sightings of tigers, no less, in Dallas, Texas. Uh, what are we talking about? Escaped uh, uh, es- escaped uh, circus uh, animals? What's going on?
1: The Dallas City Zoo says that all their tigers are accounted for. But over the years, and this is going back to the 80s, um, a number of residents in central Dallas and even outside the city in the suburbs are continuing to call into the police with reports of very, very big striped cats like tigers. Uh, these cannot be mistaken for domestic cats. They're far too big. Some of them have uh, reports concerning tiger cubs are weighing about 50 pounds or more. Again, too big to be a domestic cat, uh, but distinctly tiger striped, large gold colored cats that have been seen in and around that city for many, many years. So, uh, it's astonishing that nobody's been killed by these creatures. Tigers are powerful, predatory big cats, the biggest big cats that we know of currently living. And, of course, they are incredibly good, stealthy hunters. So, And they would not think twice about attacking a human being. But for some reason, no one has been attacked by these creatures. Um, there must be lots of food around for them for them to persist for so long. The police are taking the reports seriously. They do go out and look for them actively when they're reported, but for the last two to three decades, these giant tiger-like cats have been uh, evading big-game wild, uh, big game hunters, um, wildlife officials, and even the police. So who knows when this mystery is going to be concluded.
4: Bill Gibbons, the dinosaur hunter here on The Conspiracy Show, author of Missionaries and Monsters. Uh, he's been tracking uh, Mbembe, this uh, mysterious creature... Uh, in the Congo Basin, has uh, made several treks to uh, deepest, darkest Africa uh, to, uh, to 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 get some tangible evidence for the existence of Mokeli Mbembe. And uh, Bill, you um, you're working on another book on Mokele. Actually, you, you've you've finished another book on Mokeli Mbembe, and I know we'll we'll talk about it uh, at length um, in the coming months. But um, what's the name of it, and what can you tell us about it?
1: The book is called Mokele Mbembe, Mystery Beast of the Congo Basin. And uh, it's been quite a lot of work in this book. Um, if I say so myself, it is probably the most up to date, the most complete book um, you'll ever read on Mokele Mbembe charting, the very earliest reports going right back to the mid 1700s, right up to 2009 when I went on the Monster Quest expedition to Cameroon. And uh, I have to say that um, if you won't be disappointed if you're looking for not just historical information, but information on three other mystery animals that inhabit this region of Equatorial Africa. And um, I've tried to be as informative, as interesting, as scientifically accurate as possible. And I have to say that the reviews on Amazon.com so far have been very encouraging.
4: Mukeli Mbembe, Mystery Creature of the Congo Basin. Well, we're going to have you back on in September, and we'll de- we'll dedicate a, a whole hour a plus to talk about uh, uh, that book. But you do also have... You're a very busy man these days, Bill. You're, um, you're leaving uh, very shortly for a, a trip to uh, to the U.K. and Europe. First of all, the trip to... The UK, um, I think, may involve another book project uh, on vampires and werewolves, no less. Uh, tell me about that.
1: Absolutely true. Well, you know, I've had an interest in these things for a very long time. And um, many of your listeners may be very familiar with the legend of the Highgate vampire, Highgate yes. being a a village uh, north of London, and it has, of course, a huge Victorian graveyard, uh, which is basically, and it's been called, as you know, the City of the Dead. Now, there was a flurry of activity in the 60s and early 70s with a f- absolutely terrifying human-like creature, um, which eventually one researcher Believed was a vampire. We know him now as the Right Reverend Sean Manchester, Bishop of Glastonbury, who's written several books on vampires. And I, he, yeah, I
4: talked to him uh, years ago.
1: Right, and he's actually killed more than one vampire, and more recently he was investigating uh the kirk lee's vampire in in yorkshire now um there's been some recent activity at highgate cemetery now apart from being a cryptozoologist and being the curious sort when it comes to things like this and i think you already know this i'm i'm also a licensed private investigator um, my specialization is surveillance and um tr- tracking missing persons and so on and um Basically, I decided that as I'm buying some new technology at the moment, including uh, very sophisticated night vision equipment, um, why not uh, pay a visit to Highgate Cemetery when I'm in the UK next week and see if there's anything around the target area, Swain's Lane and the north gate of that cemetery to see if there's, there may be any unusual activity that may pique my interest and, and uh, maybe we can start another vampire hunt, but much more responsibly this time, I hope.
4: Wow. I mean, you just have no fear. I mean, you're going to wander around in Highgate Cemetery with this night vision binoculars, hoping to to, to run into a vampire. First of all, I mean, you are a Christian. You're a creation scientist and a Christian. Yes. Do you believe in the existence of vampires?
1: Well, there's different definitions of vampire. Um, I think we have to get that clear. There, there, there are people, I believe, who are um, who, who are mentally ill, who believe that they're vampires. They sleep in coffins. They drink blood. There's others who go as far as to have fake eye teeth uh vampire eye teeth um you know dental dentally implanted and uh, they dress up as goths and they're part of this kind of interesting uh, subculture of vampirism, but they're still human beings uh, we're talking about the undead um I believe that what what the undead vampires are um i I believe that they are demonically animated corpses that uh, that that are um, as Bishop Manchester believes, um, you know that, that um, are used by and large to uh, to prey on the living, to just to terrorize people, and also to confuse people uh, as to as to uh, in, in, as far as the spiritual world is concerned. Now, having said that, um, there there was a book written some years ago called "He Came to Set the Captives Free" by Dr. Rebecca Brown, M.D., and she, apart from being a medical doctor, was heavily involved in. A Christian ministry to get people out of hardcore Satanism and one of the people that she managed to rescue from uh, a a very very powerful Satanist coven uh, was a girl called Elaine Moses and she gave us a lot of information on how these covens work and she actually stated that vampires and werewolves are basically human beings that is within these covens that are demonically indwelt by um, evil spirits that can change their form and appearance. And they were basically used to punish people to keep them in line. Now, as you may be aware, there's one Monster Quest episode which deals with werewolves that have been seen in Wisconsin and Michigan. And I've spoken to some of the eyewitnesses, including an author of a book that, uh, on this particular um, question. And hunters, police officers, ordinary down to earth people have seen these gigantic. Powerful wolf-like creatures on two legs, chasing down wildlife, um, hanging around in graveyards, and so on. So there's, there's a lot to this mystery that needs to be unraveled um, and examined and categorized, in a sense. So the the, the, what the book I'm planning, the working title at least, is called The Demonics, A Christian Investigation into Vampires, Werewolves, and Other demonic
2: creatures, well, so
1: like shapeshifter, ghouls, and
4: so on. Sure. Bill, I can't wait to talk to you upon your return from uh, your trip to the UK and Europe about uh, uh, your encounters with vampires and werewolves, and uh, just keep that, and I say this in in all uh, uh, you know honesty, keep that uh, crucifix uh, handy.
2: Uh, <laughs> I
1: certainly will, and I hope I don't run into a vampire. I don't mind observing one uh, from a distance, but it's just a preliminary investigation at the moment to determine um, what the nature of the current activity is and if we should be involving more, shall we say, people who are more expert than this and I am. But, you know, uh, we'll do a preliminary investigation and we'll find out what's going on.
4: Bill, always a pleasure. Again, the website dot dot com dot com creationgeneration.com Bill Gibbons his new book now available on amazon.com Mokeli Mbembe Mystery Creature of the Congo Basin Bill safe travels we'll talk to you upon your return
1: thanks Richard hope to talk to you soon
4: thanks pal bye 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 All right, that is it for another installment of The Conspiracy Show. Thanks for uh, coming along on this uh, magical, mysterious ride. And, uh, of course, my thanks to uh, Marie Jones and Larry Flaxman, co-authors of The Deja Vu Enigma, Dr. Patricia Doyle, of course, and Bill Gibbons, The Dinosaur Hunter. Thanks to Dan Ellison for technical production. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. And what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home.